0: This is Melissa and today is November the 5th, 2023 and I hope everybody is doing really well getting into autumn and in some places I'm hearing about plenty of snow already where you live so I hope everybody's ready for the change in season. I am going to put up today a talk that Alan did June twenty-three. 2019, And By Peace, Enormity of Conformity, Aimed at Majority, Modus Psychological, Cunningly Diabolical. I think that I'm going to trim this a little bit. Uh, I want to use a portion of it in a culture creation project that I'm working on. I think it would be good for that. And there there's a little bit of the news that I want to cut out of it. The overarching thread of the talk is war and the long-term planning of war, but also, and possibly most importantly, how we are changed and how we adapt over time so that we go along with these wars. We're entertained, we're kept under crises, and we just don't pay attention to what's going on in other parts of the world. And there's, you know, there are some updates here from this Israel-Hamas war, and I'll just give a few of them. Where, where we are right now is that more than 1.4 million people have been displaced in Gaza. Officials are saying that there are about 9,500 who have been killed. Now, that is in Gaza. Israel says 1,400 people were killed in the Hamas attack, and 241 are still held hostage. So those are some official updates. One of the things that Alan mused about in this talk was something that he has mused about a few times, which is where are all the protesters, you know, the anti-war protesters? Uh, People seem to protest where they're pointed, so it might be climate or wherever, whatever. But this just human rights, looking out for other people, not wanting them to be bombed off the face of the earth... That too is organized and they simply, people simply don't show up unless they're told to. Well, what is interesting to me right now is that clearly people are being told to and the lines, the way that they are being organized has shifted a little bit and that is interesting because you've had the left being behind these you know, forever wars for a long time now. Uh, But now you have a lot of the people in the left have pivoted towards Palestine. And the amount of people who are showing up on campuses and writing letters and, and making their voices known is kind of staggering compared to past crises and events in the Middle East. But what it tells me is just the level of organization behind it, that it's time to show up, it's time for this to happen. There is a lot of fallout, but again, we don't really know the why that this fallout is happening. And by fallout, I mean people being fired. LinkedIn issues a warning to a site that was shaming pro-Palestinian sentiment. But as far as I know, they haven't removed that site. The site listed thousands of people and grouped them by their workplaces. And so they were basically doxing people who had pro-Palestinian sentiment. And there were thousands and thousands of uh, people and sites who were being doxed in that way, having their private information posted. And here is something from Politico. It said, it feels like the new McCarthyism, how the Israel-Hamas war is redefining the limits of free speech. War between Israel and Hamas has sparked extensive, mostly online activism about the conflict and led to a rash of firings or other workplace discipline from employers concerned about their employees' views of the conflict. Art Forum's top editor, David Velasco, was fired by his publisher after posting an open letter on the site calling for a ceasefire and suggesting Israel is responsible for the beginning of a genocide. Michael Eisen was removed as editor in chief of the science journal eLife after re- retweeting a satirical article critical of Israel. And Maha Dakil, a top executive at the Hollywood talent firm Creative Artists Agency, stepped back from leadership roles after reposting an Instagram story that implied Israel was committing genocide. That's in addition to multiple law students who had job offers revoked after publicly criticizing Israeli actions. The statements range from expressions of sympathy for Palestinians to strident anti-Israel criticisms that seem to minimize Israeli loss of life. The situation is making Genevieve Lacquiez, a professor of law at the University of Chicago, whose work is focused on the changing meaning of freedom of speech in the United States, very nervous. It feels like the new McCarthyism, said Lacquiez, who is one of the legal scholars on matters of free speech. So far, most of the firings appear to have been for expressing pro-Palestinian views. The U.S.-based advocacy organization Palestine Legal reports that they've responded to over 260 cases of people's livelihoods or careers being targeted. But the fact that these firings have been due in large part to social media posts and the widespread broadcasting of personal political beliefs means that the trend may not stay on one issue or one side of the dispute for long. Currently, regulations concerning speech and private employment oscillate wildly from state to state. About half of states have no protections for private employees who express political beliefs, while others have laws that vary in terms of scope. Many of the employment laws that do exist find their roots in the 19th century and are little use in navigating the 21st century workplace. Meanwhile, ideas about protected speech are constantly shifting in the culture. After 9-11, for example, the War on Terror brought with it new examinations into what kind of speech promulgates terrorism. More recently, debates over cancel culture on campuses and in the workplace have brought up similar questions of what speech is permissible and when consequences are justified. Lackier said the First Amendment has always had exceptions, but those exceptions can expand under pressure. People are interpreting the uh, category of hate speech or the incitement of violent speech very, very broadly to include speech that, in my view, is totally legitimate, often pro-peace speech. And this, Lackier said, has happened since the Israel-Hamas war began. So I I sensed from the very beginning of this that this was really different than other things going on in the Middle East, and so far I'm not changing that assessment. Thousands in Berlin rally for Palestinians and a ceasefire in Gaza. Thousands of pro-Palestinian protesters took to the streets of Berlin, waving flags and demanding the end of Israel's bombardment of Gaza. German news agency DPA reported that about 6,000 protesters marched through Berlin's center after calls from Arab and German leftist organizations to join the demonstration on Saturday afternoon. Around 1,000 police officers were on duty to prevent possible clashes. All right, I'll post those up to look at. But while all of this was going on, and I'm trying to keep an eye on the news. Someone told me about something that was going on in Azerbaijan that I was just totally unaware of. I, I hadn't heard anything about it. And what it is is there is a disputed there has been a disputed area in Azerbaijan that has had ethnic Armenians living there this situation has been the case since the 1980s, I think. but goes back about that far. And there have been a handful of conflicts and an outright war in 2020. And what has just happened is that Azerbaijan made a strike on this area that they have always wanted to claim back as their own it's a disputed region that they call Nagorno-Karabakh. And the ethnic Armenians that live in this area are are Christian, Russian Orthodox, and I think Georgian Orthodox, but they're Christian. And they, I suppose because they are ethnic Armenian, they... Probably identify with Armenia, but they find themselves in this region and what is interesting to me is that in the talk that I put up about three weeks ago called Gog and Magog and and one ring to bind them all Alan Watt talked about how far back the troubles in the Middle East go the involvement of particularly Britain, but the Western allies in getting rid of the Ottoman Empire and restructuring this region. And so with the dissolution of the Ottoman Empire, you get what we now call Turkey and just a reshaping of that region. And the tensions and the conflicts, there have always been uh, regional conflicts going back thousands of years, and I'm not an expert on the subject, so I'm not going to dive too deeply into it. But what we're looking at right now seems to me to be a content, you know, an ongoing restructuring of this region based on long, long-range plans. World War One was part of that plan. Getting rid of the Ottoman Empire was part of that plan. The uh, creation of the you know the Balfour Declaration, the creation of the state of Israel, all of this ties into very long-range plans. And as I was trying to understand something that I didn't really have much of a background on. I looked into some of the things that might be going on in this region that we might not be hearing about. You've got Russia, and the bottom of Russia, you've got the Black Sea and the Caspian. Below Russia, there's Georgia, there's Azerbaijan, there's Armenia, there's that disputed region, which I'm talking about, which is now no longer disputed, Azerbaijan has claimed it as its own and here is the fallout that nobody is talking about in the media unless you are really really digging for this while well, everybody is caught up in, you're either against Israel or you're for Israel or you're against Palestine or you're for Palestine and um, this is from yesterday's news last ethnic Armenian residents Flee troubled Nagorno Karabakh area by bus. The last bus carrying ethnic Armenians from Nagorno Karabakh has left the region, completing a grueling week long exodus of more than 100,000 people, over 80% of its residents after Azerbaijan reclaimed the area in a lightning military operation. The bus carried 15 passengers with serious illnesses and mobility problems. In a 24-hour military campaign that began on September 19, the Azerbaijani army routed the region's undermanned and outgunned Armenian forces, forcing them to capitulate. Separatist authorities then agreed to dissolve their government by the end of this year. Azerbaijani Interior Ministry spokesman said on Monday that the country's police have established control over the region. Work is conducted to enforce law and order in the entire Karabakh region adding that Azerbaijani police have moved to protect the rights and ensure security of the Armenian population in accordance with Azerbaijan's law. So next door to Armenia, above them is Georgia, next door is Turkey, and below them and below Azerbaijan is Iraq. So they're kind of in the thick of it, but... These countries, particularly Georgia, Armenia, and Azerbaijan, form a a little strip of land where the bigger regions come together between the Black Sea and the Caspian. I had seen something in the news that that Russia was not going to come to the aid of Armenia, that... uh, They were going to kind of stay out of it. And I found some, a a few different things that helped me understand this. And this is from Foreign Policy Magazine. How the end of Nagorno-Karabakh will reshape geopolitics. Azerbaijan's dramatic takeover has serious consequences for Armenia, Turkey, Iran, and beyond. This is from October 25, just skipping down a lot of the uh, beginning, the setup, because I've already given you a little bit of that, said, while Russia was weakened by its refusal to defend its treaty ally Armenia, it maintains substantial capacity to destabilize and project power in the South Caucasus. Azerbaijan's takeover of Nagorno-Karabakh could also create new opportunities for China's Belt and Road Initiative. And Europe and the United States face an uneasy dilemma between providing humanitarian aid to Armenia and maintaining energy supplies from Azerbaijan. Well, I think that part of that is a moot point now because they have removed these ethnic Armenians, the Christians, from the region, and they have sent them. Most of them went on foot. A few of them died. This was a brutal trip, an exodus where people fled with the clothes on their back, children, toddlers, babies, pregnant women carrying what they could in their hands on their back, and they fled. Because the history of that region and what has happened with the azerbaijani towards these ethnic armenians has included rape mutilation torture murder etc cetera, etc cetera. so this is a very ugly festering wound that n- nobody really talks about so Turkey believes that Azerbaijan's takeover of Nagorno-Karabakh will enable its Zengazer Corridor project. The corridor would facilitate trade between Azerbaijan and the Naqchivan Autonomous Republic, or the NAR, an Azerbaijani exclave located to the southwest of Armenia. This would allow for direct commercial ties between Turkey and Azerbaijan via Nakhchivan and fulfill the Turkish president's vision of uniting the Turkic world. Looking further for a little more understanding, this is from the World Economic Forum 2017, China's $900 billion new Silk Road, What You Need to Know. Now, many of you are going to be fully aware of the uh, Belt and Road Action Plan the Belt and Road Initiative the New Silk Road and I'm not going to uh, belabor this but I am going to link to this from the World Economic Forum because the little map that they show you and the line from China across that region Kyrgyzstan Turkmenistan, through to Turkey, right above, crossing through Iran. And then their other little road that goes down from Tajikistan to Pakistan. It's just very interesting trade. And remember that I mentioned that I had heard from Julie at Book of Ours about the port at Haifa in Israel being sold to India, and run by the Chinese. So the more that you dig into this, the more it looks like long-term planning and restructuring of a region for, you know, you can call it part of the Fourth Industrial Revolution, but just new trade routes. This is from last week. Armenia unveils Crossroads of Peace Initiative as Silk Road Forum kicks off in Georgia. The Armenian Prime Minister introduced a new plan for regional cooperation called Crossroads of Peace at the Silk Road Forum in Tbilisi, expressing hope that this initiative would lead to a peace agreement with Azerbaijan and improved relations with Turkey. Well, also, I think in the maybe in the CFR publication, what something that I was looking at today was talking about how this this peace agreement had long been hoped for, but just couldn't happen because of this disputed region there and that is now out of the equation. Nobody is fighting over the nagorno- karabakh anymore. This has been settled, and so a peace agreement can be achieved. And it, it this seems to be about trade. So the initiative would lead to a peace agreement with Azerbaijan and improved relations with Turkey. Georgia is hosting the Silk Road Forum for the fourth time, bringing together over 2,300 participants from 63 countries. The forum, launched on October 26, is centered on discussions about the Silk Road and the Middle Corridor, which connects Europe and China. Pashinyan's Crossroads of Peace plan suggests that Azerbaijan and Turkey reopen their land borders and connect through several routes passing through Armenia. It emphasizes the importance of protecting territorial integrity and serves as an alternative to Azerbaijan's Zangazer Corridor proposal. So there is some jockeying for position here whose corridor is the best corridor, but these individual, these regional corridors lead to the overall China's Belt and Road Action Plan or um, Belt and Road Initiative. There is a, a really good little piece for people who really want to get into this. There is an article from the SilkRoadBriefing.com the new developing Eurasian transit corridors, the Zangazer and Trans-Caspian prospects, and that was from August of this year. I also wanted to mention uh, that for people who really like to dive in and understand the region, Brandon Turbeville is writing with some regularity, and he has, I, I, I posted this but I did not mention it, but this is from October 24, protests in Suweda reminiscent of 2011. Who is behind them? Twelve years after the initiation of the Western-backed destabilization in Syria, it appears the Western intelligence and military apparatus is once again attempting to stir up a, quote, popular, end quote, revolution against the government of Bashar al-Assad. This time, however, not only do they continue to use their proxy fighters in the form of terrorists and Kurdish fanatics, they are also attempting to use the domestic population to further fracture Syrian society. Now, this is a good article. I will link to it again. And I also want to bring your attention to something that Brandon Turbeville published on the 3rd of November Seymour Hirsch releases leaked Pentagon DIA document, one more nail in the coffin of Western government official story of Syria chemical weapons claim. With absolutely no fanfare in either the alternative or mainstream media, veteran journalist Seymour Hirsch has released a leaked. Pentagon DIA Assessment of the Chemical Warfare Capability of Japat al-Nusra al-Nusra Front, also known as Al-Qaeda, a fact that Western governments and Western media simply would not admit during their chemical weapons propaganda volley against the Syrian government. The document is from June 20, 2013. The documents were released in Hirsch's article entitled, When the Intelligence is Inconvenient. So I'm going to link to that article from Brandon Turbeville, and within that you'll find the link to Seymour Hirsch's article, as I say, for people who really want to dig in and understand this a little bit better. And it supports what Alan is saying in this talk and what he said for many, many years, and part of that to understand, again, about avoiding the dialectic and getting caught up in left-right politics and, be, and emotions and you know digital hatred, et cetera, et cetera, is that we are living through this long-term plan. And things like will come out, like what Hirsch has exposed and Brandon Turbeville is shining a light on, and they'll say, oh, it wasn't like that at all, you know, the weapons of mass destruction story. But the initial propaganda sticks and it takes over people's minds. And that is why it's just so important to tone it down a little bit, you know, tone it down. Don't, you know, don't be just outraged and ready to go, you know, pick up your online sign and go hammering somebody with it because. 10 or 15 years down the road, they release, you know, oh, well, here's the truth, here's the leaked document. doesn't matter. People are so caught up in whatever the two minutes of hate of that day are, they're not paying attention to it. It's easy, 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 easy peasy to manipulate people. So there is a lot going on in the region, and it's about a lot more than what the media is presenting us with. And any time that we see the kind of vitriol and hostility that uh, is happening country by country, they're protesting in Germany, we know what's going on in the United States, and there's a little bit of this kind of uh, protest, counter-protest going on across the world right now because of the Israel-Hamas war. But there's so much more happening in the region, and in this talk, Alan goes into some of the long-term, you know, the list, that list, Um, so some of the long-term goals that are at stake. So I will give you probably what's going to end up to be about three-quarters of this talk from Alan It was 2019, so it wasn't yet in the the epic length of talks. But like I said, I want to use a little bit for something down the road. And I just am going to shave it and make it a little bit tighter for you. I will link to the original audio for anyone who wants to listen to it. Um, We don't have the, the transcript up on the site. The transcriber has been busy getting everything into HTML and then sending it to me and I've been uploading as they come in or trying to. I'll have to say the transcriber tends to keep ahead of me. But um hopefully that the transcript for this talk will be up in the next few months. Yeah, it is great. It's really great that so many from 2019 through 2021 have gone up recently. So I encourage you all to visit the website, cuttingthroughthematrix.com, see all the other official sites, the newer channels, see that there are thousands of audios that you can listen to, and there are transcripts, and I hope that you all will get something from today's talk, and also keep me going by visiting the website, seeing how you can... Uh, donate or um, make a subscription donation and help keep this going. So I wish you all a good week to keep your heads, to not get caught up in the dialectic. The dialectic is how plans get moved forward. We're living through, as Alan would say, a script, but we are living through a long-term agenda and it'll be way down the road when, you know, if there is something there and, you know, the next Carl Quigley comes along who sifts through the archives and pieces together a little bit of real history before we can know what's really going on in this region. But there are lots and lots of clues, many from Carl Quigley and many from Alan and uh, There's a lot of clues out there as to the real reasons why this region of the world is in constant upheaval. Don't just get stopped and stuck on the obvious. And have a good week, and hang in there through the increasing onslaught of crises. Take care.
1: Hi folks, I'm Alan Watt and this is cutting through the Matrix on the 23rd of June 2019 I hope you're all getting along through all the changes that are happening rapidly now, of course You're certainly living through interesting times Although, if you've been studying reality for a long time, you'll know it's a kind of groundhog day And we're building up to a repetition of what we've been doing for the last 20 odd years Or actually longer than that, with wars, etc... As they go for Iran as well One way or another uh, it will be accomplished Because Iran was on the list from, Right from the 1990s To be taken out And they never give up the list of course Wesley Clark talked about it, the general, And it's still ongoing today And uh, Iran has been under embargo for a long time And that's devastating to these countries Iraq was the same thing we found that Madeleine Albright was questioned on television about the uh, half, well, well over half million children. Eventually it turned to be about a million. And, and, uh, and women too, uh, and the elderly had died because the embargo couldn't get medicine, couldn't get food in for a long, long time. And that's what happens. So they tried to do the same with Iran, of course, for a long time. And Iran's left with the decision of, well, breaking out, obviously. And what they hope to do is make them, Iran make that kind of decision, a desperate decision, which gives the, the credence for counterattack by the West, of course. And that's how strategy works in these kind of shows. Everything is public perception. But mind you, all of our news, all of our reality today is public perception management. And it's skewed by professionals. I don't know if you've noticed incredible changes in authority, and uh, with the authoritative um, techniques that are being used now today on the whole of society, uh, from children all the way up to adults. Now, we're treated we're all treated as children actually by um, professionals. But before I get any further in that direction, I have to remind you to help donate to me at CuttingThroughTheMatrix dot com website. And when you're there, I always say that take a note of all the other links I have on that website. These are my official sites, and you can order the books and discs from these sites. Uh, if, if you buy from elsewhere, they're not mine. <laughs> Someone else is putting them out, so everything's official is on com website. Take a note of them all, and uh, if anything happens to the com site, at least you can get. And my talks on the on the other sites of be left. You never know. You see, we're living these strange, interesting times, as they say. And you, you, you can buy the books and discs. I say, or you can donate. It tells you how to do it at cuttingthroughmitch and the, the ways of payment or and donation are listed there too. Remember, you can also uh, send a personal check to me if you have still have checks. You can also get checks from your bank. Or you can get a postal money order from the post office and send that. It's, it's, it doesn't cost much and you, you uh, it's very cheap actually. And if you're from outside Canada and you're sending it to Canada, just ask for an international postal money order at the po- a post office and uh, they'll, they'll give it to you for the, the amount and so on. And that can get cashed here, you see. Because I can see other techniques coming into play. As we get managed by the, the, professional managers, that the nudge units is, you know, the behaviour modification experts. And we have teams of them in every country now literally working on uh, managing us. We don't elect them. Uh, no government agency has come out to tell you to vote or even to have an, a say in these agencies getting established. They disappear, of course. And you still think you're living in democracies as you get managed. I gave talks on these before about these nudge units, behavioral insights teams. They're much bigger than a few people here and there. There's teams and teams and layers of them. And they also extend all the way into the Internet community, of course, because Internet itself is a, a massive control system uh, down to the personal level even for those who think they're quite safe and happy and they're being awfully good you're awfully good, don't bother me believe you me, if you're quite happy being managed by experts and who are watching every single thing that you do, even predicting what you think and, and because they're studying how you think you see, then uh, well, good luck to you, it's a sad thing that Aldous Huxley said it he says they'll come to us and and that they'll love their servitude, and that's what you are. Because it's not painful for folk at the moment, at the moment, you see. And that's the key, at the moment. Because it's to get really bad as we go into the depopulation, austerity agenda, under the pretext of climate change, etc. And this is no speculation on my part. I have their documents, I have their books of the big players that came out with the ideas on how to control us all. They're quite. They love to publish it, their books for themselves because they're, they're they have tremendous egos, and obviously those who want to manage the world and everybody in it have to have big egos. We've seen the tyrants down through history, and we call them that. Luckily enough, but unfortunately we can't recognise them for today as for what they are, because like Madison said, they they always take away your freedoms bit by bit, uh, under the guise of keeping you safe. And that's really how it is. We're at the, we're, it's just, these are old techniques you understand. And believe you me too, if they didn't want terrorism, they would not have caused the problems in the first place to take out countries across the Middle East. It wouldn't have happened. And terrorism could be managed much, much more easily in that case if there were any radicals at all. But uh, causing mass displacement across the world is part of the whole agenda, of course. And I was just thinking today, and I've thought many times before too, where are all the far-left groups that are against wars, that they see march in the streets against wars, where are they? Who, who has switched them off? Because they all follow leaders, and their leaders know what they're doing, and they take orders from higher authorities too. It's also interesting that these groups, heavily well-funded groups, because we're in a new Soviet. The true new Soviet is more Soviet than the old system was because Soviet means rule, by council, basically. An NGO-type deal with appointed commissars to manage a certain area of society. We have lots of them now. We've got more, more than the Soviet ever had. And the difference with the Soviet Union is they appointed them, the leaders of them, I should say, to manage them. We have them called non-governmental organizations, and we have thousands of them. That also, um, most of the the big ones, anyway, are all funded by our government, our tax money, for changing society completely and, and managing society too. And they're also augmented by the massive funding from the big foundations, I did so many talks years ago about the foundations and what their functions really were. And it's true, the richest people on the planet direct where we're going in the world and how we'll act and behave, not right down to population and how to manage the population and even how to coerce the population into accepting eventually mandatory sterilization and things like that all the way back to the days of Malthus. And don't forget, we've done this before, and we're still doing it in other countries, we call third world countries, we pay for it, but what they want to do across the world. And that's what globalism is all about. If you notice again, the same groups who do not protest the war against the wars and the displacement it causes are the first ones to champion the end of, of nation states, which is Marxian, of course. Which of course is also the globalist, which is the capitalists at the top. Who know? It all. It's all it's all the same system, and the trick of running the world is to create different different uh, not just sides but factions within sides, and they're all fighting each other, and they never come to the, uh, to understand that uh, the dialectical process leads them to the conclusions or or to the points where uh, those. Those at the top actually want them to come to change. You can't get change without conflict. If you've got a happy, say stagnant population, as I like to call it, and you want it to change, it won't change. It's quite happy the way it is. So you create dissatisfaction for a segment and have them go at it with the other group. And eventually you'll get a synthesis coming out of it. And that's what the whole Trotskyist doctrine was basically based on, was the Galen dialectic. But today we have the, the true Soviet system. We're unelected, but appointed by governments. NGOs are running our lives through climate change and so on, and sustainability groups galore. There's thousands of them across the world. Sustainability. Well, guess what? Sustainability is sustainability is all about too many of you. That's where. That, forget all that other stuff. It's, it's to do with you. <laughs> And they have charts out of how much it's going to cost the world and, 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 and how much carbon you'll cost for every child that comes into it and how many things that, that child will need growing up and food, clothing and yada yada yada. And that's all done through this magic religious act. You see, because it's all a religion to believe in it, you see. A magic act of deciding how much carbon and energy you're costing the world as to make up these wonderful algorithms. To work out how much you're costing the planet, basically. What a farce this is. You need an awful lot of faith to believe in this religion. Because it's a farce. A complete farce. Although you might say it is a religion in a sense, and it definitely has a plan, and it definitely has, and it demands worship. It demands worship. It's completely intolerant of anything against its own agenda. Completely intolerant. And even has those within the structural parts of the system and schools and everything teaching the same plan. And it will tolerate no contrary opinions to what's, what uh, is mandated. Completely intolerant. This is not a happy system coming in, folks. And it's not new. It was predicted a long time ago in the 1800s and 1700s too. Yet you had characters coming out and you eventually had Thomas Malthus and about population reduction and you had, uh, that, that continued through eugenics and Darwin, you see. And all the way into the different plans of sterilizing people in America. And they did it in Britain too. Calling them the unfit. And you know, across other parts of Europe. And, and then they brought up, they kept doing it after World War Two in the US. And eventually it was partially, it's not quite stopped actually. Today, it's wonderful when you think about it, because we'll we'll all get up in arms about, well that's terrible, they could sterilize those people, but now they're talking about compulsory sterilization for men and women. To save the world. Nothing to do with intellect or IQ or anything. No, to save the world. If you're in a certain category, yeah, you'll be designated as for termination if, if you want to take sterilization. And the amount of data that they published on this is astonishing to save the planet and of course that's the whole idea that was the excuse they came up with to save the world It'd a, a, it was either going to be a war a massive long war that would depopulate the world to the rafter and failing that they'd have to convince the public that you're in a war mode which the war is, is man killing the planet you're the enemy you see that's what the club of Rome said and they were given the task of fighting an excuse to do it all and all the big players were attached to the Club of Rome, even up to the present time, actually, and on the board of it, too. Quite fascinating. And at first they came out with uh, The Coming Ice Age. The top players uh, published books on it, too. And often these top players had relatives or even their wives on the board of the Club of Rome. It's a small world when you get into who, who runs it all. And then you have... The, the different government departments that are constantly creating new, new departments to study us and manage us, and then they farm it out again to NGOs and agencies and the private sector uh, this is the true the true Soviet has surpassed the old Soviet system, and they, they couldn 't go even go as far as this with indoctrination school where are reinventing reality completely with indoctrination that children are getting today. It's quite fascinating to see it happening and to, to study their papers and the techniques of doing it. It's quite something in itself. But what really is horrifying is the fact that they have no problem in lying, teaching an agenda with the use of lies and saying that lies are necessary, necessary coerce the coercive people along this agenda again to save the world you see and if that doesn't offend you being lied to all the time about what their agenda is really all about and of course the agenda has got nothing to do with democracy the club of rome has stated in their own their own writings uh, that, they, that democracy doesn't work they want something harder they, they want really a, a, like a fascist system that's what they really admire where the diktats come from the top and you obey at the bottom without any arguments they, that's what they want but what gets me too is the perfection you'll see in other countries they've been on the path longer because of their cultural society system and China this is not speculation. It's fact that the United Nations has published many documents on China to be the model state for the world to follow on everything that it does to manage the people, to train the people, to manage them and so on. And China, and not just them, every major organisation out on the planet there and countries have fawned over China in the past because... It's the dream of the West to be like China. The West has a problem. And Margaret Thatcher and others have stated the problem. Those in power, in the past at least, had to give a semblance of acknowledgement to the complaints, of understanding the complaints of the public and sometimes acting on it and so on. That's what it's called, it's this this. Con game of democracy is always a bit of a con game, but they have to at least put a show on, right? But in totalitarian type systems, and don't forget China is still called communist to this day, with a very, very officious governmental system, and you have to belong to the party if you want to own a business. And the party literally is all powerful. In fact, just in the papers now, they've got, I think it was the head of, it was a Chinese man who was a head of Interpol, or it was a Chinese branch, or, because Interpol is international, right? But he, he was found guilty of embezzling millions in bribe money. And, and that, that kind of, that kind of corruption is, is typical with China, is, is, with every other country. But China does doesn't let that go. They really deal with it which, of course, a lot of folk outside China admire. <laughs> they, they deal with it when officials are corrupt. But, but the same token, China has come from a collectivist society. It's a very ancient system of, of ruling the people. They've tried everything, even in ancient times. They had a socialist-type system. In ancient times, an authoritarian system. But almost uh uh you might call it, A system run by nobility at one time too. They've they've tried everything in ancient times. And so there's nothing new to China, but China itself again, uh, generally uh, has a different system of obedience of the people to those in power and authority. So under communistic system, they still can have a lot of freedoms. They have a lot of the freedoms, even. they like music, etc. They can go to dances, they can, they can drink, and that kind of stuff, and buy their, their clothes, and, and commerce is doing well in China. Believe it, that's, that was, I can remember when they, suddenly China, supposedly, suddenly went, went, uh, capitalist. And they had interviews in the streets, and for the Westerners to watch, and Matsi Tung they say, oh yeah, Maxi Tung would have liked this, this system where, where money is good, and, you know it was like night and day change it was it as shocking as when they just announced that the Berlin Wall had come down in Germany, in Berlin so uh, that's a kind of shock of those who'd, who'd lived through all this Cold War phase and he is an arch enemy of capitalism supposedly and today of course it's the top it manages more capital than the rest of the world combined I think and yet there's no communist there's no you have one ruling group and that's all you've got is one party system but at the same time I understand to an extent the Chinese system because if you truly want an advanced socialist system you'll have a Chinese type naturally where the people will have a certain amount of freedom but they're well studied just like we are here, like you wouldn't believe. And there may be even better, like school to work ideas, at uh, training youngsters for particular areas that they have, where they, where they could excel, actually. And as I say, they have, they have quite a lot of freedoms, but when you look at the social credit system they have, it's completely managed from the top down, which is come which is here too. In the West, they call it shadow banning at the moment. With, with the behavioral insights teams nudging you and prompting you and all that kind of thing, and even punishing you to an extent. And shadow banning in the West, where, where you won't even know. You, you just notice that suddenly you'll find that very few folk are finding you on the net. There's nothing declared, you see. It's all done, and you'll come to the conclusion eventually with other people who are getting the same things done to them. But in China, it's direct... They're going by the Bertrand Russell Scheme, and Bertrand Russell Scheme was was part of this global uh, planning uh, committee from the the 1930s and 40s and 50s onwards. He was part of that global planning committee of how they've managed the public with a social credit system even. They were thinking of a way where you'd all have money going into a bank, Now, now now it's electronic of course, and... And in, in the, the, the Russell system, the, the government could punish you by stopping you from getting money to pay your rent or money for food and so on and get you on your knees, basically, until you repented and apologized and promised to obey and all that kind of stuff. This is how it's done. It's very simple. It's treating you in the way that you treat an animal. It's animal policy, basically, training policy. And this is the system we're in today. Because it will not tolerate any other opinion and any other ways of looking at things except the authorised way. This this attitude is incredible because when you go back into Pavlov, what do you think Pavlov was up to? Do you think Pavlov was was trying to find a way to train dogs? Huh? No, it was to to find how to put and into people all creatures because they classify people as being just the same. With these massive, you know, repetitive punishment techniques and, and fear techniques and so on, and, and w- which is very similar to what they tried to do with the CIA and MKUltra, where they would literally shock the people with, with uh, electroshock treatment, basically, uh, coupled with massive doses of LSD until to, to de-pattern the brain, and then they would rebuild the person, literally. That's what it was about. Well, in an advanced system of socialism, you don't—they've already done it because they've got their children young, and indoctrination is is very strong. And if the yoke, this is the key to it, if the yoke is light, if the burden is light, to an extent, and you give them the rewards just like an animal, you see, then they will come to accept it, and 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 it isn't that bad, and so on. If you look at the social credit system, which is just what's going to come here, it's already coming here, actually. it's probably taken here with a lot of people already, in fact, who are cashless, etc., who did everything on their phones, and who will tell you, I don't mind if the government's watching you and, doing, and taking notes of what I do. I don't mind. I nothing wrong. Well, that you're already trained. There's no difference between that, that person and, and the one in China. There's, there's no difference. So it's already happened, you see. Once it's happened, if you, if you can get that particular generation growing up uh, for another twenty years, that's that would be the normal for everybody. Then that's that's truly It's so simple to do. They give the little freebies. I mean, that's what got me too. It's the little freebies I get, little points and rewards. You'll get that with social credit systems. And you've already been trained if you've got yourself a points card for for grocery stores or pharmacies. They've already trained you. that 's <laughs> the mousetrap you know. If you take do so many, you get so many air miles, or or so many of this, or so much of a discount. Oh, you're already trained the same way as a communist social credit system. That's that's how it's done. Huh? And and you get little things through into your email. How you've been a good customer. You're good, good again. You see, and you're good, goody two shoes, eh? And you feel all smug and wonderful. Oh, wow. You see. But they'll also start. Like they do in china to to warn you if you 've done made a wrong choice in something they 've already floated ideas here we're we 're the same we 're in the same global system folks all this stuff with china's different and we're we no it 's a one global system already. the trick was to make you believe it that it wasn 't <laughs> as you became all the same and years ago i remember reading articles on a radio show where they talked about doing battles against sugar and so on, and they'd, they'd, they'd actually send it to, to your iPhone or to your or email and, and, and give you little cautions, like naughty, naughty. Well, notice you're taking too much sugar because you're buying more at the grocery store because everyone's cashless, you see. And, and then eventually, of course, it goes into the healthcare system. It's already there. We've had, years ago, they've had, and you still have them every so often, uh, how, in bioethics, how to manage the, the cattle. That's the public. We've we truly are looked at like cattle now, honestly. We're animals. And how you train them and so on. And it's your own fault if you've got problems related to weights, for instance. That's what they're telling you. Right? And they said they would even refuse folk down the roads to treat them if things were self-inflicted it's an amazing system there he is and you see it all you can see it all around you as part of your system but you you can't connect the dots but it's all connected if if you've done done a little bit of looking and studying and seeing what social contracts are all about and they call that now social contracts again it's it's just amazing to, to live through this system as it's perfected and brought in step by step, and how folk adapt to it by the day, by the week, by the month, by the year, without a questioning, no questioning at all. That's what's fascinating to me. You'd really hope that there'd be, there'd be more people that'd that say, no, hey, no. But again, all studies have shown that there's only a small minority of people in any generation who are indignant enough to say no to whatever it happens to be it's always the same and they know this too but it's like getting back to it to what's happening as long as you the yoke is light right and you play the game and you do what you're told and you like and you will even adapt your behavior and your vocabulary into being politically correct awfully awfully, awfully good yeah I'm awfully awfully good right Goody two shoes and, and, and then you, you'll be patted on the head. And they might give you a little freebies here and you've been an awfully good citizen. You see. Well, you see, that's not democracy, folks. That is not democracy at all. And democracy is not supposed to punish folk who won't be part of, of the oneness of it all. Democracy is a variety of opinions and a variety of even ways of behavior. And then seeing things and how... I used to like meeting people, and, and it's true, England had a, at one time had a, a tradition of oddball characters that would work in their back sheds and, 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 and invent things. And it's true, you'd meet oddball characters who weren't the oddball things, and they'd make stuff and invent stuff. And, and it was more than a hobby, it was what they lived for, basically. And that was fantastic. And you'd say, they're all oddballs. And they probably all disagree with each other about whatever they're making and comparing them and all that. But that and and but they might. But they didn't come to blows about it. It it was interesting, a society like that. It really was, and that's how it should be. You you cannot really, really have a free society unless you have um, tolerance. And tolerance is the right, as Orwell said, basically. To say what you want to say, like two and two is four. Not, not what you're told to say. It, it's so sad when we're really in this incredible boat of political correctness, which is completely intolerant and is definitely not democratic. And with, with the, what you're seeing now is the massive, it truly is hatred from those who are ruling it right now. You feel it, it's probably like people sensed before the Bolsheviks took over Russia and the mass slaughter started. It's the same kind of feeling you have with 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 fanatics. Most of them are who are trained to be fanatics. They've been radicalized by by very clever people above them. They never know that themselves, but they're completely radicalized. They have no tolerance at all. It's not a good time to be alive and going through this if you're still an individual. You will go through it. We're going through it now. And it's when you step up and step up into the scientific management system that, this, that H.G. Wells uh, wrote about. That he wanted to come in. He was part of it too, of course. He wrote a lot, a lot of books on non-fiction on how to manage this system. It's an old system. It's many centuries old. This, this whole agenda... And the coming collapse, financial collapse, which is designed to come, is all part of it too, because it's planned that way. <laughs> you understand, a system is backed by nothing, there's no gold or anything backing anything that's out there. Everything's run on debt money and IOUs. You trade IOUs today. That's what countries have been doing forever, trading and giving out IOUs. It's a complete joke, and, and those who control and run the money, uh, which is central banking systems, it's only one system, really. they again the private club in London, the chief for International Affairs preceded by the, the Milner group, Lord Alfred Milner, and his group to bring in a global society. Money is all part of it, and the wealth of the world. They had no problems going into Africa. Uh, getting the war started with the Boers in order to get the gold and and, and diamonds. That that was part of it. For themselves. And that's also why their agent in the States, Rockefeller, one of their agents, said that competition is a sin. He he wasn't being facetious. He was being honest from his point of view. They believe as the rulers of the world, the richest people on the planet, they had the right to take over the wealth of the world and dispense it proportionally to, to all those down below and they didn't believe in democracy but they, they did know they have to use this thing called democracy to get everybody initially to go along with it do you remember the farce of when the American troops went into Iraq and you saw it on news clips where the, the soldiers were, were, were swearing at them at the, at the Iraqis saying you, know, you used to put you know uh, but can't we give you democracy? You don't have democracy in your own country. America is supposed to be a republic. It's democratic within its own system of laws of a republic. Meaning it can't be upset or changed and altered. Well, what happened to that one? <laughs> but why? Why is this farce supposed to work with other countries that have never known of it? Because, well, it's that other countries know it's a farce they know it's a farce. but it's never been so obvious as today it's in your face and it's angry and it looks upon everybody regardless of your age group as a ch- you're all children naughty children, bad children and the, the reason that anger is there and, and the threat behind it now here's the key, it's the threat you feel the threat everywhere is to make you play the game and do what you're told and obey That's what it's for It's not a good time And it's going to get a lot worse Believe you me A lot worse Um, Let's touch on A few of the articles Like this one here It says um, In stores Secret Bluetooth surveillance Tracks your every move And it goes into shopping In your favorite grocery store And you approach the dairy aisle You're sent a a push notification In your phone 10% off your favorite yogurt Click here to redeem your coupons and you considered buying yogurt on your last trip to the store, but you decided against it. How did your, your phone not? I Every mean, everything you're doing is recorded and literally it goes through all these algorithms. It's all, it's not like they're spending billions of dollars just on you, you see. The algorithms are so advanced today that the so computers can do billions of people at one per second, actually. That's how precise they are They can manage us all. Anyway, it says, so your smartphone is tracking you and still got uh, your location data. Paid a shadowy group of marketers to use that information to target you with ads. And recent reports have noted how companies use data gathered from cell uh, towers and ambient Wi-Fis and general processing satellite satellites are global. But the location the data industry has a much more precise and unobtrusive tool called Bluetooth beacons. I'll put this up for those who care, you know. Because your technology is not there for your benefit to read this, it's not really not. You are being trained in Pavlovian style and you don't even know it. And like, like again, like Aldous Huxley said, he said, uh, you know, you you come to love your servitude, you're a servant of the corporations who run and, and rule you. And then the unholy alliance between DNA size and facial recognition. This is a kind of repeat I remember doing one years ago on the same kind of thing. And uh serious technology that was once only seen in dystopian science fiction rapidly affecting real life Two means of collecting personal data. DNA databases and facial recognition software are forming an unholy alliance and the privacy implications could be devastating. Privacy concerns surrounding DNA and facial recognition aren't anything new, and as the popularity of DNA genealogy websites like Ancestry DNA and 23rd andme increase, so do questions over who has access to that data and how it will be used. They use <laughs> the, the, the schmucks hmm? who, who jump in. Oh, yeah, I, I may be related to royalty. I got to find out. You see and then send them all the, the, the data which they know about who their grandparents were and all the rest of it and great grandparents and then their DNA and then they do searches etc and out of that search they, they'll come all their sisters their brothers their mothers fathers everybody's their health you name it you know any medical problems that, which may be uh, genetically caused and so you give them all that data huh? you understand data is power to these people that's why they're after it, and of course they sell it off to to, to insurance companies and believe you me, employers. <laughs> employers get it all through uh, the big employers. They they have agencies that uh, can get all this kind of data from from them and pay for, it of course. But uh, they can then turn people down. You'll never know why they turn you down. It's because they've got your your, your medical histories and what you're prone to, and not prone to, and all that kind of stuff. You see. So, as I say, the schmuck who who falls for it ends up putting all the rest of their family and siblings in danger. There you go. So it says, genealogy sites have been making the news of late mainly for concerns over how personal data is used and who has access to that information. Recently, GEDmatch, which has more than one million genetic profiles in its database, decided to stop providing information to police without user permission. To police, you see. Last month, the site faced criticism when it allowed Utah police to use the database while investigating a violent assault. Prior to the change, GED match allowed police to use its data only for rapes and homicides, reports Bloomberg, it says. And it goes on, it says, and of course they're all doing it, folks. They're doing it. Mm -mm Mm-mm-mm. And then engineers are figuring out how to match DNA to faces and databases. There's quite amazing stuff from China, again, who are way ahead in all this stuff with, with the facial recognition. They literally can, can on YouTube, I think they, they, have, uh, they even have some documentaries on how advanced they are. They show you the facial recognition techniques and how it's instantly measured all, all parts of your face in, in precise little millimetres and all that. They know exactly who you are, where you are, instantly. And it reads on the computer. A whole crowd's so all, their, all their names will pop up above the little people in the crowd, and that's um, and there's a movie out too. I think it's called um, Anon about that, getting you used to the idea about it too. So th- this this is your totally controlled world, folks. So the it says a team of engineers just built an algorithm that scans through a database of images and selects the faces that could be linked to the DNA found at a crime scene. Could be linked, right? And so they're predicting what someone's face looked like based on DNA sample has really scientists, but it's getting easier for them to use samples to filter the right face from a database. As an international here, again, team led by researchers at KU uh, Leuven has shown. And their findings were published in Nature Communications. And I'll put these links up, you know, you can, uh, as contained in this particular article here. So they go on about it too and different press releases, other links and so on. And it's in this one, contained inside this one article for those who care about it. Most of don't care, they know it's happening and they don't care, but I'm good, I'm good, I'm good, 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 you see. I've got good point systems for the stuff that I buy in the stores. You know? And, and, and they even congratulate me for making the right decisions on my purchasing. Getting back to talking about China, and um, China, your social credit system will also give you a warning. So if you're eating too much meat or the wrong kind of meat or something like that too, you see how it's done. Or spending money on maybe on cigarettes. Because eh? even then in, in the streets, they can actually see you smoking instantly, know where you are, who you are. And, and, and that's it. And you get a little warning, maybe initially a little warning. And eventually, if you, if you, if you continue... You get bad scores, and if you get bad scores, you have less access to where you can go inside the country or even inside your own town or city, and certain places will be banned you won 't be allowed to get through certain doors it will read you instantly and you won't get they won 't open for you this is your this is your as i say member it 's not a democratic system folks the choices are all, all recommended allowed choices it's a narrow band of them. And uh, you get appearance of choice But it's a narrow authorised band of them And also, it, it, right down to your phone calls in China If you phone someone inside China uh, And the person, if they've got a bad credit rating Or whatever it happens to be It's a social credit member It's your behaviour, it's a behavioural credit system And uh, it'll, a voice will come on the phone Before you speak to the person Saying that this person has a bad uh, social credit rating to, to to warn you as well, to shame the person. Shaming is a big part of controlling the population in the social system. And it's getting worse and worse here, of course. Big time. And me saying it isn't going to stop it. I'm just saying it because I know it's going to happen. <laughs> and at least I do know it's going to It's been happening too in some malls. and they've, they've tested it out in some places already for over the last few years, in fact. Anyway, it says this, this could be used for different purposes, this DNA and so on and facial recognition, and special software, and so on, and so on, and so on. And, and don't forget, too, it's also do eugenics, with your history, your family history, your DNA history, any probable possibilities. This goes into the, the whole area of Gattaca, the movie where those who are genetically enhanced where the, the, any possi- possibly, possibly bad genes including allergies and so on might affect you are removed and the better ones put in there well I can do the same you understand how they can if you study farming and, and stock breeding and you study eugenics and you study eugenics society in America and Cold Spring Harbor Remember the big lab there that was set up for eugenic purposes by humans. They actually brought in the American Farmers Association and Stock Breeders Association for advice on how to literally change the people themselves, just like they do with cattle. Well, now of course with cattle and pigs and all the rest of it, they've got artificial insemination and they literally alter, they take out the genes again in the, in the semen, in the sperm. And they can substitute other ones too and implant it with with other ovums and so on that are also enhanced or taking the bad bits out. In other words, you're creating what you want to be a designer person as they do a designer cow or a designer bull. That's how it's done. And a lot of folk are already domesticated in the system. They'll say, oh, what's wrong with that then? You know, what's wrong with that? You know, well... Maybe for the ones who say that, actually, there's nothing wrong for it. <laughs> They're quite happy. They're already changed. Eh? They're domesticated. But for the folk who are not, you're unique as a person. See, it's the uniqueness of individuals that must be destroyed in this advanced, advanced totalitarian, socially run system. And that that's the target of it all. That's anathema to conformity for the social system. So standardization is always what they get coming out of it. And what do you think teachers are paid so much money for? Huh? You can tell that they're not sending, churning out children who are well educated as far as knowledge about the world and, and, and different sciences, but they certainly are indoctrinated with uh, their latest PC social engineering. Understand that? Well that's why you pay teachers an awful lot And, and Stalin said that You've got to pay them an awful lot of money Because they are the first line to indoctrinate the children Into the system Nothing changes Anyway So I'll put this, this article up here For those who care about it To see about it too so Most folk out there remember And a lot of them who are listening already are cashless They don't use cash at all And everything, they don't mind even being monitored Because they're goody-goody And uh, and they'll be, obey and, and be good and, and see all the right things in conversation and so on. And and But there are those who, again, who who don't. They, they like being an individual and they like having, having choices in, in, in life, you know? It's interesting to observe it when you understand why it's happening, how it's happening. And it's interesting to see the incredible intolerance that you've only read about in previous areas of history in the past as it resurfaces again. Remember by the boots and this, and donate to me at cuttingthroughmitch.com. I'm Alan Watchman to your Canada, and it's good night to me. Your God, all your gods, go with you.